All right. Hi, Billy Joe. How you doing? Good to see you. I feel like I'm forgetting something. What am I forgetting? Anything? Okay, let's just pray and get into the Word. So, Father, thank you for the Word of God. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it'll pierce to the soul, the heart. It's the discerner of our thoughts. It can show us where we're getting off. It can show us where we need to be. Lord, transform us today by the Holy Word of God. Give us your mercy and your grace. Open our ears to hear and our hearts, Lord, to understand so we can obey by faith what you're teaching us. I want every person in this room, Father, to be saved. My prayer today is that every person in this room would be saved. They would be assured for heaven, but not only heaven, but on this earth that they would walk after you. It's my prayer in Jesus' name today. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. Once you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is a pickup. I'm picking up where I left off two weeks ago. We talked about, we went through kind of the whole book of Corinthians up to chapter 12. Now, for the last three weeks, since the last time I preached, it was what I preached two weeks ago, but a week before that, I've been studying in this scripture and um, it just keeps growing on me. I can't get out of it. I, I wanted to preach on forgiveness and healing, and I just cannot get out of this scripture. The Lord just keeps showing me more and more and more about this topic, and it's important to you to understand it. Our blessing as a congregation depends on it. Your blessing in life depends on how you understand the topic that we're going to share. I'm going to talk about unity and division. Psalms 133 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers, that includes sisters too, to dwell together in unity. Someone say amen. Said it's like uh, the, the uh, ointment that came off of Aaron's beard. It's like the dew from Mount Hermon. There's an anointing. There's a fragrance. You guys leaving? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I would just be so disappointed. It's like a fragrance on the anointing of God. There's a fragrance on unity. And you, in all of Paul's letters, he is always attempting or trying to bring the people of God into unity. We live in a very fractured, divided world. I have friends that send me three conspiracies a day. No kidding. I mean, legitimately. And I, some of them are probably true. You, I tell you, if you turned on MSNBC, and I know you wouldn't, but if you turned on MSNBC and then you turned on Newsmax, you would think we lived in two different countries. Someone say amen. You just, there's so much division in our world. And Paul is addressing division in his world in Corinth. There was division there. And he's talking about the Spirit of Christ. And he's trying to bring them into one mind and one heart in Jesus. And there is a way that we can walk together in unity. There's a way that we can come together in agreement. And if we can do that, it's so different than the world. 
The world is always fractured. The world is always fighting. The world is always divided. But the church of Jesus Christ should not be. There's a way that we can get along. There's a way that we can walk in fellowship. There is even a way that we can disagree with our brother and sister and still love our brother and sister. There's a way in Christ that we can literally get smacked on the right cheek and turn to them our left. There's a way in God that we can overcome the strife of tongues and we can overcome division. And when we do, God will pour out His anointing on that person and that place. Put your finger there in 1 Corinthians 12, and I, I will get there, and flip over to Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Just put your finger in 1 Corinthians 12. I'll get back to it. <laughs> it says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth. That's a King James word for angry. He was mad. He was upset. He was mad at God. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And behold, unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with his brother Abel. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother and slew him. Cain killed his brother. He mur murdered his brother. And we can see in the scriptures and in life from the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned. They were separated from God. They truly fell from the presence of God. They were sentenced to go east of Eden. God began immediately to work to bring man back into fellowship with him. But there was a division and a war in man's heart that was birthed right there. And in the first brother and sister recorded in Scripture, it winds up in murder. Now, isn't that amazing? Have you, anybody, has anybody ever seen the movie Amadeus? You really shouldn't see it. It has stuff in there you probably shouldn't see, and I'm not recommending the movie. But one of the uh, things about the movie that struck me when I watched it was uh, Mozart in the movie. I don't know if this is how it is in real life or how it was in real life, but according to the movie, Mozart was extremely gifted by God. He just had a gift. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He just was gifted by God. And this guy, Salieri, wanted to have that gift. He wanted to be gifted like Mozart, but he wasn't. But one thing he did have, he had the ability to appreciate good music. 
So he met this, to him, this buffoon, this uncultured, immoral, um, just, you know, I can't, can't, lazy, contemptuous young man, proud, Mozart, and Salieri had prayed to God and asked God to make him like Mozart, and so he served God his whole life. He did penance. He's seen him praying in front of the cross. He was begging God, this is what I want to be. He says, God, I'll give you all the glory. And for whatever reason, in the movie, God did not give the gift to Salieri. He gave it to this Mozart, who was irreverent and unholy. And this created a great resentment in Salieri. In fact, the way the movie starts is that this Salieri guy is confessing and admitting that he actually was responsible for the death of Mozart because of how he treated him and the things that he did, the way he manipulated his life. He actually murdered him. And at one point in the movie, even while he was praying, when he realized God is not going to answer my prayer, he is not going to make me a great composer, he's chosen this guy, get this, this is important, this guy that does not deserve it. He's chosen him to give him the gift. He doesn't deserve it. He threw his cross in the fire and he turned his back on God. He was angry or his countenance was fallen and he was angry at God. The Pharisees were very religious. They tithed mint and rue and cumin and spices. They were very exacting if they touched something unclean. They made sure they washed. They did ceremonial washings. They made sure their robes were just right. They made sure that their outer appearance, everything about them on the outside was impeccable. Everything about them was perfection on the outside. But Jesus said, hey, I know your hearts, and your hearts are full of dead men's bones. Everything you do, you do it for a show. And they were full of hatred. In fact, when Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees in chapter 23 of Matthew, he says that they are responsible for every murder from Abel to righteous Zechariah. Every murder, and it really what he's getting at, ladies and gentlemen, is the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion. Cain gave God what he thought would be an acceptable offering. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say every reason why uh, Cain's offering was rejected. We know it was obviously an offering of his own making, of his own thought, and his own desire. Because the Word of God says that Abel gave an offering by faith. And in order to give an offering by faith, Abel had to hear from God. Abel knew somehow by the Lord that he needed to give his firstling and he needed to give the fat. He needed to give his best to God, but he needed to offer it to God by faith and the blood was spilled and instinctively or by revelation, Abel knew that blood had to be spilled. A life had to be sacrificed for a life and that was a sweet smell to God. And Cain gave up the works of his own hand an offering of his own mind, of his own idea, and God rejected it. Now, the good news, God told Cain, he said, Cain, you can repent, you can do what's right, sin is crouching at your door, but you can turn around, 
now you know what type of offering you need to give. I'll accept it. But rather than receive God's mercy and rather than receive God's grace, Cain chose resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness. Have you ever had anybody that wouldn't forgive you? They would rather hate you, be bitter towards you, than forgive you. I hate being in that situation. I'm quick to tell somebody, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And it's really hard when someone doesn't forgive you, when your heart is... But there is something in man, sometimes, and I believe it's the devil's work, there is such division and schism in the human heart that sometimes people would rather hold on to their resentment hold on to their anger. They feel like they have a right to hold on to their anger. They feel like they have a right to hold on to their offense. And what happens when you do this, and you saw that in that movie, that bitterness and that anger and that hatred grew and grew and grew in this area where he was literally feeding on his own bitterness. Have you ever been angry with somebody and you can literally feel it? Me and Chuck and Mike, oh, it's three of us have. <clears throat> Where you just, and, and let's be honest, let's, you didn't want to let go of it. You didn't want to let go of it because you wanted them to get theirs. Finding joy out of someone else's demise. You wanted them to be hurt. That is the spirit of man. That's the spirit of Adam. That's the spirit of the fall. That's a devilish spirit. We've all been tempted by that. I know two brothers, and I can't tell you the business. I, I don't want to tip it off, but literally, come on, listen to me. This is important. We're going to get somewhere here. We're going somewhere. I know two brothers that have a business in a community near ours, and their mother died and left the two brothers the business. The one brother is kind of sick, and the other brother uh, resents his other brother, and uh, one of the brothers will not sell the business because he wants his other brother to die first so he doesn't have to split the inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We shake our heads. That's horrible. That's what was unleashed in the Garden of Eden when man was separated from God, that division in, in the human self. Resulted in Cain literally murdering his brother. Frederick Nietzsche talked about his experience with religion. He believed that religion itself was based on resentment. The whole thing. And his dad was a pastor, and he had some exposure to Christianity in his day. And in his day, uh, Christianity was very formal. And it probably was very religious, and he thought the whole notion, and yet he missed the true nature of what Christianity is by a mile. Paul's writing to a church in Corinth that's very divided. And each person uh, is, is trying to get their own way. And I, and I taught on this uh, last week. If you would look at, turn to the front of your paper here. I'll go over some things quickly.
talking about division. Paul was telling them that he didn't want any divisions among them. He wanted them to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He said that they were fleshly because there were divisions among them. They were not spiritual people. Why weren't they spiritual people? Because there was divisions in their midst. He said they were puffed up one against another. He said that a brother, these are Christian brothers, are going to law against another brother. He, says, um, he tells a wife, you must not divorce, divide from your husband. He tells them, do not use your liberty as a stumbling block for others. And he said, when you come together, you don't come together for good. You are coming together for division. That's, they're meeting so they can fight. They're fighting when they're gathering together. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, there should be no division in the body. Something I've noticed as a Christian and as a pastor in many churches, I'm not going to go into church history, because it's good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity, something our adversary wants to do is he wants to divide us, and he will do everything he can. It starts in the family with mom and dad, wants to put a fissure in your marriage, wants to bring resentment and bitterness and separation into your marriage wants to cause offense there in your marriage, if he can divide the family and splinter the family, he's won a great victory. Then the kids are affected by it. They're, they're always affected by it. If he can bring that into a church, he wants to splinter and do things in the church and offend and splinter. The very heart of religion, the very heart of Satan is division. In fact, uh, If you read through the Bible, just story after story after story regarding the fall of man, it's a history of human selfishness. Let's, let's read now. Now, God has an answer for this, and Lord, help me collect my thoughts. God has an Flip over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to read here. This is God's answer. Let's start with verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. Paul writes to the church, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body in Christ, for by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into that one Spirit, for the body is not one member but many." The foot, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where is the body? But now there are many members, yet one body. 
what God has done in Christ, this division that came through the fall, this animosity and this selfishness, what God has done in Christ at the cross, and remember two weeks ago I was talking about the foolishness of the cross, what God did at the cross is He brought us all back together as one. I know we have different denominations or flavors in the room today, but in Christ there is no flavor and there is no denomination. If you have been baptized, you may have a disagreement about something, but if you have been baptized into the body of Christ, we literally have the exact same spirit. We have the same spirit. The spirit that's in Christ is now in us, and we are not figuratively, we are literally in the spirit, brothers and sisters. That division that we once experienced in race, I, I can't go into that. God divided the nations uh, in the book of Genesis. He div divided he divided them out at the end of uh, chapter 11. He talks about that, how he divided them. That division and that even that separation into language at Pentecost, they all came together and they all were speaking a language and they could hear each other and they could understand each other. God brought back that division into unity in Christ. It is not in any other religion. It's not in any other faith. It is not in any philosophy. And there's nothing else like what God did in Jesus. It's not even taught. It's not even preached anywhere. Unity among the nations is only taught in Christianity because of what Jesus did at that cross. Jesus literally drew all men into himself and was crucified on a cross, took the sins of all humanity onto that cross and he was crucified and punished for every sin of every lost person in this world. And he joined us all together, and he made us one, one new people, one new people that could praise and worship God, and his desire is for us to walk in unity. I don't have time. The scriptures are all in here. In John chapter 17, Jesus' last prayer, he's saying, Lord, I'm praying that they are one, so that the world will know that you're real. I'm one in you, you're one in me, I am in them, they are in me, and I'm in you. That's why it's doubly, triply important for the church to get this right. Because if we walk in the Spirit, there is no way that we can walk in division. It's impossible. We have the same Spirit. So if we walk in the Spirit, we've already been unified in Jesus. If we're walking in the Spirit, we're already unified. And that's why Paul tells them they're carnal. That means they're fleshly. They're not walking in the Spirit. Paul, what's your proof of that? Because they have strife, they have arguments, they have debate, they have envy and all these things. It proves that you're in the flesh. Lack of fruit of the Holy Spirit. It just proves that you're in the flesh. What I'm trying to get at, this whole letter of Corinthians then is Paul laying out God's antidote to living a life in the flesh, living a carnal life, living a selfish life. And I'm telling you, to live a carnal, self-focused, self-centered life is the reason that you're depressed, if you are, I trust that you're not, 
It's the reason that life can be very confusing. It's the reason why you feel isolated. When we live in the flesh, it, you just reap in the flesh. First, uh, Galatians chapter 6 says, when you sow a life in the flesh, you reap in the flesh. When you sow into the Spirit, your life you'll reap into the Spirit. You can literally walk in the Spirit and sow peace and sow life and sow grace in the Spirit and your life, you'll, that's what you'll reap. And that's up to us. The harvest we get is up to us. What we determine we are going to sow, that's why I say all the time, I am not going to let anybody bring me into unforgiveness. I'm not going to let them. The Lord's talking to me incessantly about guarding my heart. Everything in your life, who you are, what you do, how you react is the product of what you allow in your heart. You cannot allow the devil to put uh, junk in your heart of any kind. We're the one that has to till the garden. We're the one that has to take in the seed. The Lord will water with us, but we're bringing the word into us. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, I am not going to think on those things. I am not going to be offended. I am going to meditate on your law. The Word of God says, whoever meditates on the law of God, nothing will offend them. Lord, I refuse to be. The enemy of your soul wants to turn you into a self-focus, which I preach a lot, into a self-focus, because he knows if he can get you navel-gazing and self-focused, he can defeat you. You can keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your focus on the Lord, keep your eyes focused on Him. You are an undefeatable person. Religion is always self-focused. It's about what you did for God. It's about what you're doing for God rather than about what God has already done for you. If we focus on what God has done for us and we're thankful, that stuff will pour, that gratitude will pour into our heart and it'll bring good fruit. We're never supposed to be self-focused. Now listen to this. This is the unity aspect. And I want to get to honor. That's really the, the meat of what I want to get to as a congregation. He's, Paul says, I want you to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Is that possible? I'm asking him, is, is that possible for that to happen? Can we have the same mind? and the same, how, how can that be possible? Say that again. Through Christ, to have the mind of Christ. When you're looking out for somebody else's interest, it's easy. Philippians 2, Paul says that we should be looking out for the other person's interest, not just our own. When you literally are looking out for the other person's interest, it's easy to walk in unity. It's when you said, no, 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 that's my toy. The mind of Christ Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.12, being reviled, we bless. Folks, this is the mind of Jesus. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. Who would say that in here? <laughs> I'm eating my cheeseburgers, right? <laughs> I hope you get over it. <laughs> That's a, now, they were, they were offering up stuff to idols, and Paul's telling them, hey, if I'm eating food sacrificed to idols and my brother stumbles, I just won't eat meat. 
Paul says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. For though we are many, we are one bread and one body, we partake of one bread. Let no man seek his own, but each let him seek the other's well-being. This is how we can walk in unity, folks. This is how we can walk in the mind of Christ together. Just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then I just read, for as the body is one and has many members, being many are one body, so also is Christ. Unity requires surrender. Because unity doesn't seek its own. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, when Paul leaves chapter 12, he describes love. He says, love doesn't seek its own. This is a powerful life. Do you know what the world will tell you is if you live for me, you get all the gusto you can, you go out and you grab everything, for, that'll make you happy. You get the yacht, you get the girl, you get fame. Yeah, all these things, and it's the great illusion of Satan. The reality is when we lay down our life, and the life of Jesus fills us, we're truly a free person. For whoever the sun sets free is really free. When we learn to truly look out for the interest of others, to look at somebody and not, not what can I get out of you, but what can I give you? It, it, there is so much freedom in that type of life. I, I don't have time. I'm going to read uh, one scripture. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Then I want to talk about honor, and I'm, I'll bring it to a, to a close. I knew I had, I had too much information today. I just... I have too much information Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians chapter uh, 4, urge you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Listen to this. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He's urging the Ephesians, just like he urged the Corinthians, let's keep this unity of the Spirit. There's a great blessing, and Paul's talking about the body, and as pastor, I've been really praying a lot about, um, I don't like, in the 21st century, one of the things about the church, and I don't know how to, you can change from it, but there's so much attention placed on the pastor, and the pastor has his role in the church. You're a shepherd, you know, you're guide, guiding the people, but there's a whole room full of people right now in this body loaded with gifts 
loaded with callings. And in many churches, if someone comes in and they listen to the pastor and they hear a message and then they go Monday through Saturday, just they kind of live a good life, a good moral life, and they think, well, okay, that's what it means to be a Christian. I'll go hear the pastor preach again. But the reality is that every member of the body, according to Paul, has been equipped with giftings. I, oh, Jessica, I don't know if you know, you were prophesying this morning. You know, that spirit of prophecy was on you. And callings and things to do, it's not like uh, the, the, the office of the pastor is not to be all, end all. He has authority in the church, of course, and he's a shepherd. But every single person in the body has something to do. They have gifts and they have callings. And Paul is labeling out these gifts and he's telling people, you know, some people will do this and some people will do this. If we think that all the gifts are in just one person or two people, then we're going to miss the way the Lord wants to work throughout the whole body, each person in it. I'm not even sure that church existed like it exists now back in those days. I don't even know how it worked, but they used to talk about two or three prophets prophesying and setting down. There was a whole body ministry. We're trying to recover that in our life groups here because it's time for the church to be activated. It's time for the church to go out into the world and use their gifts and callings to evangelize and to disciple and use whatever gifts they have to, to uh, evangelize the world and to advance the kingdom. Someone say amen. It's true. Plus, and I'll go through this quickly, and I, and I may have to bring this topic back, but when we honor one another, and this is what the Lord showed me in prayer, when we honor one another and we honor all the different gifts in the body, honor unlocks the gift. You cannot receive from somebody that you dishonor. If you dishonor your pastor, okay, which I'm a pastor, I'll start with me. If you dishonor your pastor, you'll never receive the pastor's gift that he has for you. Whatever God wants to use that pastor to do in your life, by dishonoring him, you'll cut off the flow of his blessing into your life. Because if you dishonor it, you can't receive from it. If there's someone in the body, and I've said this man has a healing gift, the gift of healing is in that person, and you don't value, that may be the very person that God has ordained in the body to bless you and bring healing to you, or there may be someone that has a word of knowledge or some encouragement. A lot of times, I believe God does use the very person, the last person in the world that you would want to hear from, that'll be the very person that God will bring to you to speak to you. He'll offend your flesh to gain your spirit. Amen. When we honor our mother and father, the word of God says that it will go well with us and we'll live a long life. How many knew that was in there? When you honor them. The word honor, in the Old Testament, the word honor was the same as glory. It means weightiness. It's the kabod. Honor to honor. And this is what really changed how I uh, treated my mom and dad both of them, as I've got older, it, uh, it means weightiness. When you honor somebody, you give them weight. You put weight in what they're telling you. I honor, I'm going to go see my dad today. I'm honoring my dad. I put weight in what my dad tells me. My dad and I are so different. When I go to his house, I, have to, I bite my lip constantly at my dad's house. But Charlie, it's getting easier and easier because I want to honor my father, so I'm putting weight on what he tells me. I want to honor my mother, so I'm putting weight on what my mom tells me. 
You know, the word says there's a curse when you don't honor your mother and father. You don't receive honor with what you don't bless. In fact, I have the scripture here in Proverbs chapter 3. It says, honor God with your substance. Put weight on God. Put weight on God. When you give to God, put weight on God. Don't give to God like he's nobody, like he's not a great king, like he's not who he is. It says put weight on him, and when you give to God, honor him with what you do. Paul says in Romans 12, 10, it says, honor one another, preferring one another. You guys know the story of Abraham and Lot, right? Abraham was a man of honor. He honored Lot. Him and Lot had a disagreement. He said, Lot, you pick the way that you want to go. He honored his nephew. Abraham was the uncle and the older, but he honored his nephew. He said, you pick first. You take whatever land that you want, and I'll take the rest. Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah. We know where that wound up. Abraham chose the land of promise, and we know where that wound up. Someone say amen. Last scripture, Matthew chapter 10. This is where I wanted to get to. When we honor one another, oh, this is, this is the good part. If you, if you fell asleep or haven't been listening, listen to this. When you honor one another, you pull the best out of each other. When I honor you, I'm going to pull the best out of you. I'm going to get the very best out of you. When I put weight on you, Joe, when I put weight on Joe Meyer, I am going to get the very best out of Joe. When I put weight and value on you, Eric, I'm going to get the best out of you. When I see you for who you are, how we're locked into this thing together, I put weight on you, I'm going to get a blessing out of you. When I dishonor you, I'll never unlock the blessing that you could be to me. Thank you for that beautiful meal that you bought me three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I want to put more weight on you. Amen? This is the key. When you honor the gift or you honor the person, you unlock its blessing. When you walk in selfishness or discord or you, you, you make it about you and you want your way and, and you dishonor the other person, you save your face but you put dishonor on them, you just lock that blessing out of your life. Jesus said, and he said this in different places, but I'll, I'll use this scripture as the example. In Matthew 10, 41, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? If you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. If you dishonor a prophet, number one, you won't listen to him. He says, and he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. Now, if 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is correct, and I believe that it's the word of God, then that means that all the blessing is locked up in a body. It's not in one person. It's, it's in all of us. As we honor one another, as we're good to one another, as we're loving one another, that blessing flows through the body and all the needs are met. In fact, in the early church, and I'm not suggesting this now, 
They sold everything they had and they gave to one another. They took care of each other. They honored one another. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in a body and a community of Christians that had that type of honor for one another? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Where Paul says, like, go out of your way in honor, preferring one another. Like, no, no, you, you first. Do you know this is the whole principle of Jesus Christ and humility? The word says, the lower you go down in honoring others, the higher God will exalt you. The key to all your exalt. Now, I'm not talking about in the world. In the world, it's not that way. In the world, go ahead and exalt yourself. Go ahead. You want to get ahead in the world, it's dog eat dog. That's how the world, that's the world system. In the kingdom of God, it's just the opposite. If you want to be exalted, you have to go down. You got to become, he said, let the older person become like the younger person. That's what Abraham did. When we humble ourselves and we go low, that's the person that God exalts. The one that exalts himself, that's the person that God is resisting. Have you ever been resisted? Has anybody besides me ever been resisted by God? You can feel it, can't you? It's pride. It's the first sin. I think it's the sin of Satan was pride. It'd be beautiful to see a whole body of people. That doesn't mean that, you know, you won't make mistakes or, you know, lose your temper or have a temporary, you know, you know say get in the flesh. But the most powerful words, Sonny, are, hey, please forgive me. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Here, you go. Isn't that beautiful? So I don't know how... Smooth this message was, you have the notes. It's this idea, if we want to unlock the full potential of this body, everybody in the body has to be engaged, and we have to honor and value each member for who they are. Our life group took a, a survey, like looking at our gifts and what people were, it was really a beautiful thing, like what are everybody's gifts? I want to see more and more gifts unlocked in this body. More and more people fully expressing Christ. And certainly we can walk in humility. Do not let anyone poison you by gossip or slander or discord. It's always self-focused and it's always wrong. Always. Someone say amen. All right, Lord. I want to pray. Everybody bow your head. I want to pray. Church, right now is a good time to think in your life if there's any person that you have ought against or any person that you're at war with and what you need to do to make that right. Unity is costly. It costs you your pride. Could be in your family, could be at your work, could be in church. If there's anyone that you need to make peace with and set this thing right, when you humble yourself, God will exalt you. You need to make it right. And I have this question. Perhaps you came in here today and you're not walking with the Lord and you don't know the Lord. 
you don't even know. But what, what I'm talking about is almost like a foreign language to you. You've never been saved. You don't know Jesus. But faith has risen in your heart and you're ready to believe today and give your life to Jesus, to turn your life over to Jesus. You say, Brother Brad, I'm not saved. If I died right now, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I've never invited Christ into my life and I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, can I see your hand this morning? Brother Brad, I don't know the Lord, and I want to give my life to the Lord this morning. Would you raise your hand? I want to give myself life to Jesus. I want to be born again. I'm going to ask another question, then we're going to close. And I'm not going to make this an altar call, but you say, Brother Brad, there, there is something I need to do. There is some ways I need to repent this morning, and I need to pray, and I need to make something right with God. Can I see your hand? I want to make, I'm going to make it right. Can I see your hand? And see that hand, you can put it down. Anybody else? Said, I've got, I've got ought against my brother. I've got some bitterness. I've got something in my life that I need to make right, and I'm going to make it right. Why am I asking you to raise your hand? Because if you act on it, you're responsible. You're admitting it. Now, I, I know there's about three or four people. Right now, you've got ought with somebody. I don't know who you are. There's one right there. There's more.